Let us pray. Holy Father, help us in these coming minutes to hear, consider, meditate, and inwardly digest uh, the words uh, written this morning, and illuminate, illuminate these words, we pray, that we might gain your full understanding. This we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I, I, hope, uh, I hope this weekend finds you well. I hope you were blessed by the uh, sunshine and a little bit of heat. It looks like we've left uh, the month of March and jumped straight into the month of May here. So I've heard good reports about people getting out and seeing, seeing things. Uh, our thoughts this morning uh, come from uh, our Acts reading. We're going to be pondering... Uh, specifically Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. So I'd invite you, if your Bibles or digital devices, uh, if you can find that. A lot can happen in 43 days. And we know, that that's a phrase we know too well these days, a lot can happen in a, in a relatively short time. How we went from life with the mask off to life with the mask on. And apparently we're going to be in a mask for, for quite some time. But for the, for the 12 apostles and 120 followers of Jesus of Nazareth, this would have been a supreme understatement about how much can happen in such a short time. Uh, consider 43 days prior to this moment in Scripture. Their hearts were torn in two as they helplessly watched their master's voice cry out, and fall eternally silent up on Golgotha's hill. They furtively gathered behind closed doors to, to avoid potential arrest. And then at their spirit's absolute nadir, women from their band burst through the door proclaiming the, the news of Christ's resurrection. Yet this intimate and spiritual fellowship that they were experiencing at the feet of their master wouldn't last for long just a little over a month and some change. And now once more, events were about to unfold. We see as we look at, at verses 6 and 7 of this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I, this, this passage makes me recall a time when I was... Believe it or not, I was young and an NCO at the same time. I feel like an old sergeant today, but uh, this was back during the first, first Gulf War. I was an E5, and calling yourself E5 and middle class were two mutually exclusive terms. Uh, you couldn't be, you'd be one or the other, but you couldn't be both. It was a time when my oldest son, Derek, uh, longingly asked, he said, Dad, I'm tired of burgers. Let's go to a fancy restaurant like Pizza Hut. That was a big deal. But that summer, uh, we learned that it, it, on the, the heels of, of our forces uh, successfully expelling uh, the Iraqis out of Kuwait, uh, that we learned that in appreciation, Hershey Park, of all places, was offering free park admissions to military families. Uh, it was a gift that Rob and I would have had to go deep in debt in a credit card or have to save for several months uh, to be able to afford such a trip. So 
turned out to be a beautiful day. We, we got in the, in the Dodge Shadow and, and started driving from Fort Ritchie, Maryland, up to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And every few miles, I would hear, as we motored towards Hershey, I would hear a little voice from the back of the car. We there yet? No. A couple of miles posts down the road, he'd hear it again. Are we there yet? No. And after a while, my reply was something along the lines of, we'll be there when we get there, and not a moment, minute sooner. Now, what's this got to do with the message? Uh, now, in the moments before Christ's ascension, uh, the, the apostles uh, were, were ostensibly take, think, considering the very question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I was thinking of this moment, as I pondered this moment, I, I thought about it in, along with the geographic setting of, of it. And while, while the text doesn't immediately, it'll tell us where they were down, down the down range. But uh, we know that from St. Luke and the gospel and, and later on in Acts that in, the, in these words, they were now in Bethany. And I find this spot interesting for a number of reasons. One reason is some, uh, some 47 days prior, he was also in Bethany setting off for a sortie that that's essentially would, would destination is, is Golgotha and the cross. Another th reason I find this interesting is uh, through, the, through the pages of Scripture, there are those referred to as servants. Uh, those are referred to as apostles, disciples. But very few people are specifically mentioned as friends of Jesus. And we know that, that Lazarus and his two sisters were his friends. And it was a day where the weather was likely in the low to mid-70s with partly cloudy skies. Now, I have to presume that there might be some out there who would wonder, Deacon, how can you make such an assumption? Well, i tell you how I make such an assumption. Your deacon is among other things, of all other things, I'm a weather geek. And what I find interesting is, is when there's a passage of Scripture that you can, you can tie to a season or a date on a calendar, I'd like to go out to Weather Underground and I'd like to bring up... Uh, Jerusalem. See, what's, what's the weather in Jerusalem today? And when I did this, it was the, the morning, morning skies over Jerusalem were partly cloudy and in the low 70s. Uh, so I'd like, to look, I'd like to look at these weather observations because for me, it's, a, it's an additional way of stepping into the biblical narrative. Now, their question, from the natural standpoint, their question was valid. Uh, they were at the same point where Jesus' triumphal entry began. Uh, was now Jesus about to enter the city of David and bring about his kingdom and set all things in order? I mean, after all, this band saw, that, uh, saw him die. They saw him being placed in a tomb. Uh, they saw him rise from the dead. And from discussions past in Jesus' teaching that they knew that Jesus would be returning to set the world in, in order and to establish his kingdom. 
And I can see at this moment that these disciples and other, these apostles and other disciples were hanging on bated breath, waiting for Christ's answer. The answer to the question they had hoped to hear was, was, was different from what they heard. The master's, the master's loving but firm admonition, they heard his loving and firm admonition. Uh, they asked the question that was truly not their concern. It would have been as if Jesus would say in, in our common parlance, don't worry about it. That's not your thing. Truly, the answer shouldn't have surprised them because it echoed much of what he taught his band of disciples about the truth of his return. He was going to return suddenly and abruptly and without warning. It wouldn't be an event that you could place on your day planner to make sure that we have the opportunity to tidy things up if you'll have it and, and wait on the front step like we did as kids when we knew grandmother was coming. Uh, no, it would be 180 degrees from that. It would be like a meteor that would appear suddenly and swiftly. And it's for this very reason that he calls us to a life of faithfulness and to be those who watch and pray, lest we be caught flat-footed and with our hands in our pockets when, when he does return. He reiterates a promise that was made to them a number of times prior as we look into verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, after an ostensible focus on future events, Jesus turns the, their focus away from the future and, and brings it uh, into, the, into the now and, and puts their focus on what would be their, their mission being his witness locally, regionally, and globally, and proclaiming, and he's proclaiming how this would be possible. Now, in the immediate scant 10 days, this band would find themselves witnesses of the, of witnesses of the gospel to the known world on Pentecost. St. Luke uh, recounts this initial, initial fulfillment in the, in the second chapter of Acts. Uh, where he begins in verse 5, saying, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galilean? And how is it that we hear our, our, it in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Ferga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear, them te we hear them telling it in our own tongues, the mighty works of God, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? It would be another understatement to, call, to describe this as a tall order. Yet from the study of, of, of Scripture, uh, we've learned, we learned over and over again, what the Lord requires, He provides. And what, where He is required, He is also equipped. These disciples would be accomplished, uh, empowered to accomplish this task rather 
by God's Holy Spirit. It was the third person of the Trinity who would allow these potentially bilingual disciples who probably, at best, were fluent in Aramaic and fluent in Hebrew and, and little else. It allowed them to proclaim the good news to these Eurasian pilgrims to Jerusalem that morning. Beyond being simply evangelists through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they would become conduits from God to perform the miraculous. Yet again, this was not a, a new, re, new revelation. Uh, just 43 days prior, at the, as they reclined at the Passover table, Jesus not only made the promise of the coming comforter known, but he spoke on how he would equip them. As recorded in John 14, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works will he do because I am going to the Father. Many have wrestled with this, this claim, asking, how can we do greater works than the Son of God? Uh, I find it is best to look at this uh, statement, not in terms of quality, but in terms of quantity. Uh, none, of us could, none of us could ever imagine to ever surpass the works of Jesus without tumbling into the grave sin of hubris. Yet as if we were to look at this in a quantitative state sense, the statement becomes clear. Jesus' ministry and miracles were confined to a relatively tight space. Uh, to put it in our perspective, the space where Jesus lived and moved and breathed was probably about the size of the DMV where we live and move and breathe. Uh, they were confined to the boundaries of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. But yet, within a generation of this statement, through, and by the agency of the Holy Spirit, his disciples were able to carry the gospel message 5,400 and 54 miles. Again, Deacon, where do you get that? Uh, we consider as the, the gospel message moved west into Spain and towards Gibraltar, as the gospel message moved east and in, into the Indian subcontinent, uh, a good look, look at a map would tell us that there is 5,454 5, miles between Gibraltar, Spain, and Chennai in India, where St. Thomas was martyred. So we could take both a, a moment of comfort and awe in the knowledge that as believers in Jesus, we have received the same Holy Spirit as, as the same, we were recipients of that same Holy Spirit, rather, at our new birth. Now, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled and empowered the holy apostles resides within you and resides within me. There's only one Holy Spirit. Uh, there is not a pro professional edition or a student edition of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's not a Holy Spirit light for us hoi polloi. And while we may never be used as a conduit of God to perform the miraculous, we have been called and commissioned to be channels of our Lord's grace, mercy, and peace to the world around us. Uh, in the HOA, in the office space, in the market space. And now, as Jesus 
finish the statement about receiving the power. We see verse 9 continues, as he had said these things, and as they were looking on upon him, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing in heaven, behold, two men stood behind them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you up to heaven, he will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Christ's words in verse 8 are suddenly punctuized by his ascending off of the planet and into his Father's right hand. Now, I heard an interesting statement this week as we were pushing into Ascension Day. Uh, It was on an Anglican page. It was Ascension Day. The day that Jesus went, the day that Jesus went to work at home again. Uh, this phrase "lifted up" conveys far more in its Greek than it does in our English. Uh, you know, we in our English it sounds could sound like a mere change in, in altitude, but th- this "ephiro" conveyed the idea of exaltation. Think if if Get a picture in your mind of, of, a, of a regent ascending up to where the elevated throne is above the court. Uh, and in a real practical sense, this is what was happening to him. We don't want to say disappeared, because if we were to look at that idea of disappeared in the Greek, it has a, pretty much an, a kind of an ignoble, an ignoble connotation. Uh, but, and in a real, like we said, in a, this, this is what was happening at this moment. Weekly, and in a few minutes from now, we're going to affirm this truth in the words of the Nicene Creed, where we say, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and dead, and my favorite part, and His kingdom will have no end. They gazed upwards as, as Jesus faded into those brilliant cumulus clouds that were forming, that were painted against the azure dome of the sky. The Savior, through his incarnation, who entered the earth quietly on a chilly Judean evening, had left to heaven in in an absolute moment of splendor. Unbeknownst to those disciples, two men dressed in white, and angels no doubt, were now standing in their midst. What are you, why are you staring at the sky, they asked. In my, in my mind, this question was reminiscent of the one Jesus asked Cleophas on the road to Emmaus. What things are you talking about? Yet before the disciples could even utter out, uh, hey, Captain Obvious, didn't you see what just happened? Before they could even answer, the pair spoke prophetically to them to reinforce the words of their master. He would return and will return in like, in like manner as the ascension that was mere moments ago. We take comfort in the fact, and I, I'm not making this a sermon about eschatology, but we take comfort in the fact that the only thing that is keeping Jesus from coming back uh, to set his kingdom at right on earth is the Father's word. As soon as the, the Father speaks the word, it'll happen. 
uh, we can we can mire ourselves down in in, in volumes of, of eschatology and some people have made a literal cottage in- industry out of the second coming of Christ. He's coming back. That settles it. So, as, as we, we consider, the ascension is 2,000 years back from, in our rearview mirrors, but yet its implications are still strong in our lives. Our Christ today is on his throne making intercession for us. The moment we realize that we have sinned and we, we fall to our knees, whether physically or metaphorically, and seek God's forgiveness, it's as if the son looks at the father and says, Father, it's okay. I, I already covered this. So we have that comfort. Those imp- you know, he is on the throne making intercession for us. His Holy Spirit daily now empowers us to be witnesses in a spiritually dry and waterless world. And any day, even today, might be the day of his return. Shall we pray? Father, thank, thank you for allowing your servant Luke to record these words, that it would be for our blessing and benefit. Uh, let them sink in. Let us, let us this be on our mind throughout the day and throughout the week of just the love of God for his creation and for all who he had done. This we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.